Welcome to Headed Someplace, a show where strong, inspiring, enduring women share their stories with us. I'm Kara, and this is a special week on the show. I invited my brother to join me to share with you our mom's story. Sarah DeBose is my mom, and she passed away in 2012. My parents have four kids. I'm the youngest and happen to be the only girl, but the youngest of my three brothers, Ben, is the one with me on the show. He's two years older than me. I am Kara's more handsome and older brother. Oh, yes. (laughs) Most handsome, I should say. Hairless, older brother. (laughs) Just on the top of your head. You have facial hair. You have a good beard. Your beard is good. It is good. They did well. Well, with their third, at least. I don't know how they did with you. You mean, well, they <laughs> they stopped when they got what they wanted, which was me. So. <laughs> okay, so I always start out the show asking the guest, which is is mom, but she's not here, so uh, to tell us who they are and what they do in life. So mom was a mom to us four kids but it seems like there are always extra people she was a mom for too like always people living with us or semi-living with us growing up she was a PE PE coach for a while and then she had some side businesses but ultimately their financial situation allowed her to be kind of a full-time mom so she did mom Room mom, classroom mom, decorated for all our school dances and auctions and all the events. And, okay, one cool thing I remembered is that she made, like, handmade out of pipes a tunnel for the football players to run through (laughs) every Friday night for the games. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. awesome. Every Friday night, she would go out there, put her little pipes together and the cover over the the tunnel and she like painted this huge eagle on it and she would put it up so that the football players could feel really bad there was like a a little quote on the back of it that while as we would plug in our wimpy little smoke machine that would start smoking out behind the sign you'd see this quote on the back of the sign said the the task ahead of you is not as great as the power behind you oh (laughs) i love it she's so great i forgot about that part that's so cool and then she had a smoke machine (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> she made everything like just let's do it big. Yeah. Yeah. If she were here, she would define herself how you said. She'd say, I mean, I am a mother. That's what I am. That's who I am. And to far more than just the four birth kids that she had, I think I've got a lot of good friends and people I haven't been in touch with for a long time who would still claim her as as a mother. And she probably had you know, peers that she, that would claim her as, yeah, as mom. She was, that's what she saw herself as and what she wanted her ministry to be. And yeah, she was great at it. She was speaking of one of my favorite things that shows just how being a mom was like just who she was, was Wednesday boys. Yes. You and mom started that when you were in high school and started out just a couple of guys they would come to our house every Wednesday night um, to go to church together and then spend the night. It grew and grew and grew until the last, I guess, two years of my high school time. We would have an average of 23 guys come and stay the night in our little three-bedroom house, <laughs> sleeping all over the floor, uh, going to church together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she'd make dinner and, and other moms hell ended up coming and helping too and they'd make dinner for all the boys feed them dinner after football practice and she would make cinnamon rolls every thursday morning before we'd go to we'd go to school so it was it was cool it got to where you know we had any anywhere from eighth grade all the way up to seniors yeah staying the night so uh, so cool and people came to know the lord through it parent of kids came to know or reestablish relationship with God, but through the through it, just seeing all these the parents come together and cook, and and we were kind of financially strapped at the time, and people were blessing our family and doing um, really cool things. And she would, she always made everything like extra, like that would have been cool enough. But then she wanted everyone to feel like so <laughs> special, so she made this huge. She took this like big piece of leather and then like burned into it Wednesday boys and had everybody 
burn their names into the leather and she would hang that on the door every single Wednesday or on the mailbox. I can't remember. Anyway, every Wednesday. So it was like, we're prepared for you to come. Come on in. I mean, just so cool things that I'm, uh, I know we took for granted as kids because we had no idea what went into all the, doing all those just extra over the top thing. She, what was cool was talking about her being a mom is that she loved these boys so well. And it was funny because, you know, different, different seasons of people going through rebellious seasons, they'd sneak out and go dip tobacco or, sneak of beer or something like that and she would treat them like they were the, her kids if she caught them yeah, she, she, would. Would, she would rebuke them in the most loving way ever uh, yeah. and and it was so funny because she would she had a way of doing that and of, of like calling people up in righteousness and calling people out of sin but in such a way that if anybody ever did something that was so deep and so dark that they would never want to tell any other soul they would tell mom that's right because yeah. they knew that she loved them so well so yeah. you know whatever it was you know well, that's um, so true deep dark secrets she was she was a good keeper of those yeah and they felt loved regardless of what they had their actions had been you know yeah so really there's cool a, there, there's a story i remember and i was i had to have been really young like in elementary school but I remember um two of the kids in high school at the time were uh, in a relationship and ended up getting pregnant and she was the one that they um the young man talked to and she said you know what I'm gonna go with you to tell your parents and that was like who she was is she was gonna go with you she was gonna she was you were gonna tell you were gonna fess up but she was gonna be there with you Uh, so good. good one of the there's it's so funny i'm 32 years old and i never in my high school and college self hated that she would always pray that we would get caught if we ever did something <laughs> yeah. wrong i mean hey it's like you in the moment of you you've done something you know you knew you know you shouldn't and sometimes some things worse than other things. Yeah. And well, you actually, get I don't. Caught. I don't know because I was pretty perfect. Yeah, you were I'm <laughs> perfect. <laughs> uh, but you would, you would, you would, you know, you'd get caught, and you would just think, "Man, why did?" And then she would come up, and you'd have to face her, and she would say, "By the way, I'm afraid that you. Get, I'm happy you got caught." And it didn't seem to matter that she might maybe should be embarrassed as the mother of this yeah. horrible person. <laughs> she didn't think that way. She thought, I, I wanted, I knew, wanted my kid to get caught. Cause I wanted to, and my 32 year old self is just like, man, thank you yes. so much for praying that I would get caught and putting in a healthy fear uh, in me and, and, and loving me. And she was not our, our friend. She was our mom growing up. Yeah. And there came a time where we had received such beautiful love and correction mm -hmm. that we re and respect and honor for, for our mom that she became our friend. That's right. And closest confidant. And it was yeah, like. she was. <laughs> I would, you know, it, I would share, uh, you know, the some of the hardest things ever and most humiliating things, you know, with her and. And she would love me through it and walk me through it. There's nobody I, w I wanted more on my side. Yeah. So I want our oldest brother, Cliff, to jump in here and give just a little bit more color about what our mom was like, who she was. So he starts by telling us about this outdoor fort that she built whenever we were little. It was a really cool fort, but the only thing missing was uh, wheels so that you could pull the fort and it could move. So she went and bought wheels at the hardware store and built us a movable rolling fort with a rope that we could pull. She she hand-built all kinds of other toys for us, rubber band guns, and I just remember thinking there was probably not many other mothers that were doing carpentry work for her boys to make a fun day. I remember she would, almost every day it seemed like she arranged some fun activity. It was kind of like she was a pro. We would have ornate costume parties that she'd put on. She'd build 
outside outside hard forts inside we'd have we'd do put card tables together and lay sheets all over them and and we'd have campouts inside we just it was just nonstop fun we'd be driving and she would say do y'all want to go dumpster diving <laughs> and we thought we knew what that meant, but her version of dumpster diving meant drive behind the movie theater and the appliance store and look for giant cardboard boxes that were being thrown away in the dumpster. We would go dig out the cardboard boxes and take them home and cut playhouses out of them and tape them <laughs> together and make huge forts with these cardboard boxes. And Oh, we thought and- that was just the best. It was the best because she best. was really good at cutting out perfect windows or drawing windows for us to cut out. Yeah. And making us feel like we built it. It felt like it was like a, a weekly deal. And then it did. she graduated into started driving on trash day and looking in people's trash for jewels. Her she, treasure. She say, <laughs> yeah. Somebody's trash is another person's treasure. And so she did. She'd paint, fix up other people's trash and sell it and had an antique booth or whatever and yeah and she'd get like christmas decorations after people's after christmas she'd go get everybody's reindeers and stuff out of their trash (laughs) (laughs) i think the hard part about having her gone is that she was just the absolute whole package she was non-stop fun non-stop laughter always making jokes and that you could jump right from laughter into serious deep uh profound and sober moments there was um just no other no safer place to be on earth than with her you could talk to her about anything share with her everything there was uh, no judgment there was constructive wisdom she was just had a real good grasp of of uh, a way to deliver hard truths with love there would be young men in our lives in my life and my brother's lives uh sister's lives that would go talk to her and confide in her things that, that they wouldn't even tell their own families and friends. And I remember she was always, it seemed like everybody came to her with their um, with their toughest moments and their funnest moments. But my dad would always tell a story about how uh, he was standing in line with her at her grocery store and she just they'd be in a checkout line and he'd turn around and somebody is talking with her crying um pouring their heart out to her because she just real quickly instantly made people feel loved and safe and she went out of her way to to be a blessing to everybody she would try to make eye contact with any waiter or waitress or checkout person she was so remarkable um and yet she was not perfect and she was very upfront about that and very open about her flaws and and that really just made her all the more wonderful and more approachable more safe i think she taught me from a very very early age that love is mostly a decision and the commitment and not necessarily a feeling though feelings can be a part of love but i remember she would pray for us every night. She'd pray for us to find uh, um, wives or husbands who loved God, and she would pray in the order in this order that we would marry somebody who would love, God, be committed to God first, marriage second, and us third. And she would explain to us that if they were only committed to us, then there might not be anything larger holding us together but if they were first committed to god second committed committed to the institution of marriage and third committed to us that that would be a strong bond and and something strong enough for us to to hold us together and she walked through that with my dad when they in my teenage years and they separated had some really tough times and uh both were humble and sought counseling and um, laid out their laid out their challenges in front of their friends and with openness and got to see redemption in their marriage afterwards. I was in elementary school when they told us that they were separating, but they told us not to worry because they were committed to God, they were committed to each other, and they were committed to us, and that they weren't going to get a divorce, but that they needed to separate in order to work on some things. A cool thing I remember is that the church we were a part of growing up really came alongside 
my parents and our family during that time. In fact, the elders of the church were all there at my parents' house, at our house, when our parents first addressed these issues that they were having in their marriage. And they were a part of um, just kind of every step. And even an older elder and his wife, for the time my parents were separated, said, come and live with us to my dad. And so he lived with them and he was not alone during the time they were apart. This was not a perfect church. None are because they're filled with people like you and me, but people that, despite oftentimes really good intentions, just don't get it right. But man, looking back, I'm so encouraged at how they did hard, uncomfortable things because they submitted themselves to the authority of Scripture and the authority of God, and even my parents, too, submitting themselves to um, the leadership of their local church. It's a really cool picture to me of how the church was created to be and to care for one another. Okay, so I want to fast forward to when we were in college. And so Ben and I were in college together because we're two years apart. And we lived at one point down the street from each other in college, which was so fun. Yep. But um, this is when we first found out that mom was sick. And so I remember where I was. Mom and dad had come in town and a lot of us went to, we all went to church together with some friends and our family. And then as we were driving home, mom was sitting in the back seat of the suburban with me. And right before she, I got out of the car, she was like, I need to tell you something. They've done some tests and my white blood cell count is really high. And we, I'm not for sure what that means, but it could mean some sort of cancer. It definitely means some sort of infection that my body's trying to fight off. And I was like, Okay, and that was kind of it, and then they drove away. Do you remember where, when you first found out what was going on in your head? Yeah, I, I, I was walking. I was walking on campus, and she called me. I think it was when she found out it was leukemia. The positive person that she was, and the faith-filled person that she was, I didn't have a chance to think that anything bad was going to happen because she immediately covered up with. Oh, you know, there's a medicine I can take that will treat this, and you know, nothing ever, nothing ever could bad could happen. You know, I could live till I'm 95. You know, and and of course, God can also heal me, and all of those things. She was called chronic myelocytic leukemia. I think I said that right, but CML, and she was was able to take just a pill every day that worked for about a year, and she never seemed sick or anything, but then that stopped working, and she went into what's called blast crisis and had to have a bone marrow transplant. That was in the fall of 2009 when I was, I think, a junior, senior in college, my first senior year <laughs> of college. One interesting thing is that I do remember mom said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling because I have so much faith that God is going to heal me and can heal me. And, but I'm feeling all this pressure from other people that, well, if I really had faith, I would already be healed. And, you know, a lot of people that would mm. come and pray for her and, and mm-hmm. say, um, you know, you, you just got to believe. And then the test will, right, re- results will come back positive. And she said, I do believe he can heal me. But I also believe, and my prayer is that he'll use whatever circumstances mm. to bring me closer to him and to bring people into his kingdom. Yeah, And I remember sitting on my little quiet time chair that she bought me at Salvation Army in my college room and crying and confessing and praying with her on the phone together. Lord, you give and you take away mm-hmm. our heart. We choose to say, blessed be your name. God, what, you know, whatever may come, we, we ask that you give us grace and faith and we pray that the most number of people would come to the Lord through this circumstance as possible. And to hear your mom say, that's what I want. I want healing for sure. But what I really want, the trump card for me is intimacy with God and for other people to have intimacy with God because of my life. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know that y'all had that time praying that, which is funny because one of the things I wanted to share was, well, two things. So my friends that that fall for my birthday threw me a surprise birthday party mm. and mom uh, couldn't be there. She was in the hospital. And I remember they set it up for her to Skype into me and my friends. And she 
had on a pink wig, <laughs> hot pink wig. <laughs> she had all these funny hats and wigs just to, because I mean, hey, if you're going to lose your hair, might as well have a good time with it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. So she Skyped in with a pink wig and just told me in front of all my friends what, how proud of, of me she was and what I meant to her and was just really, really special. But, um, another thing that same year that happened was there is this, there's this big production at our university that we went to, um, Abilene Christian University called Sing Song. And it's this big, huge production fundraiser for the school. And I finally, after auditioning a different year and auditioning, I got this position that I wanted to be a hostess. And it was something where, um, I had wanted this since before college, and my mom, our it's mom a big was deal, like, "Guys, it's a big deal." Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, such a big deal. Um, she, but here's one thing she did so stinking well is that things that were felt like a big deal to us, she was all about. It. I mean, they were a big deal. She celebrated everything, so <laughs> she was so a part of that process. And I remember she was a person who would be praying with me over the phone as I'm walking into my audition and then call me after to find out like how it went. Um, that was always her role. But I, so I got it. I got to be a sing song hostess and this was in the spring after her bone marrow transplant. And it's funny because one of the songs that we sang was blessed be the name of the Lord. Cause that was a kind of big song at that time. So it's sweet to me that, that you guys sing you give and take away because those lyrics are from that song. But just a little background. She had a successful bone marrow transplant, but one of the side effects from that was called chronic graft versus host disease, which is where the graft in the donor's blood is rejected by the host, her body. So uh, it manifested in several ways, but she commonly was in and out of the hospital due to various complications. But so it was opening night of this production and mom called me on my way in to go get my hair and makeup done. And she said, and she was in the hospital and she wasn't, they weren't going to release her to come to the show. And so, um, I was like, okay, that's okay. You know, I hung up the phone and I'm like holding back tears and I just beeline in trying to, so that I don't see anybody. I'm like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to get ready. It's gonna be fine. Um, I don't want to have to talk about it or think about it. And people could tell that something was wrong. And so some people that were some other students who were helping put on the the event, they grabbed me and were like, hey, are you OK? What's going on? And so I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. My mom's just not going to be able to come. And I'm just sad, you know. And um, they worked to set up a computer with Skype in the audience so that mom could watch me perform. And so I got to see her little face out there when I was performing. And so it was sweet. to. It's really sweet now to look back and see what people have done all along the way that were little tiny ideas for them but made a huge impact mm. for us so she actually went into remission I, I think maybe a year after her transplant or less um she went into remission um but she was still in and out of the hospital a lot so she she was on high dosages of steroids they'd wean her down she'd get some sort of infection go into the hospital and they'd jack up the steroids again and that was just the cycle for a while um i ended up getting engaged in the fall of 2011. I was living in Austin at the time, and I thought, I'm going to quit my, I was pursuing music at the time, doing some graphic design and um, nannying, so I, I said, I'm going to quit those those jobs, and I'm going to move home to be with mom. So for her Christmas gift that year, I said, I'm going to come home, and I want to I learn, my last four months of singleness, I want to learn from you how to be a wife and mom, and um, just kind of thought, I'll be the one that takes her to a doctor's appointments, and it'll be a little sweet time for us. So I remember once I got there. And started seeing her day in and day out. I saw the reality of what she was going through more than I was able to when she would just talk with us on the phone or we'd all come home. And she seemed pretty good because I think, honestly, we gave her a lot of energy and she would do better when we were around. But I saw the day in, day out of of feeling pretty good today means I went to the bathroom 20 times instead of 50 times or whatever. Um, Or she was able to bend over and pick up a grape that fell on the ground whereas the day before she was I mean it's just it was not great quality of life um so I remember praying the whole time that I lived with her two things I remember praying that one she would feel and know the well done from the Lord like that Mm -hmm. she would feel well done my good and faithful servant and that she would she would 
she would know that he was pleased with her. Because one of the things that was so hard for her during that time is that she didn't feel like she could do anything because she physically couldn't do much. There were so many mornings where I'd wake up and she was in the dark in her little quiet time chair that she made for herself singing to the Lord and praying. And she spent her time praying and singing and reading and um but we had something set up called Caring Bridge where people can write in and share encouragement and you can update them on your, you know, illness. And we'd read these things to her and she would say, I don't, she would cry and say, I don't feel like I'm this person that they're talking about. And I don't feel like I can do any of these things. You know, she was used to going, 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 and now she had, she wasn't able to do that. And so I wanted her to know, no, that's not, that's a lie. You are <laughs> this, like, you are this person still, and your only job right now is to get better, you know? And um, so I prayed that, and then I remember praying, too, like, just for deliverance, that God would deliver her from from this. So fast forward to March of 2012. My wedding date was set for April 15th, so tax day. <laughs> I, I was with her, and um, she was getting so week that I was afraid I wasn't it was getting to the point where I wasn't able to like hold her up and help her in the night to the restroom and those sorts of things um, so it was kind of declining I guess you could say fast at, at the time we thought it was just like any time where she'd get sick and have to go into the hospital and then she'd go in and she'd get better and come back out and that was kind of our normal and that's what we thought was what it was going to be like probably for the rest of her life or at least until she got fully well and conquered that graft versus host disease. And um, and I remember calling our oldest brother, Cliff, and saying, hey, I need you to come home because I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to drop her in the night and not be able to lift her back up. And so he came home, and I left and went to Austin for our last premarital counseling session and uh, a wedding shower that we had there. So this is about three weeks before our wedding. And mom was in the hospital and she called me and she said, I want you to know, I just want to prepare you for the fact that I may not be there on your wedding day. And if I'm in the hospital or whatever, I want you to know that I'm okay with that. And I believe that God has has allowed me to not be able to make it to things in the past so that to prepare me for this and to so that I would know I'm still get to be a part of it. And even if I have to watch it over Skype, like we've done in the past. And so I want you to know that I'm okay, you know, if if I don't get to be there. And and so I remember going to premarital counseling and I remember crying and saying, I don't know how I'm going to come to Austin and live in Austin away from my mom knowing how she's doing now. Like, how am I going to be a good wife and a good daughter, like away from my mom knowing that she's going through so much, you know, pain and that this is so hard for her. And I remember giving them giving me this example and they said, you know, they were living in this house and they were still at the time paying a mortgage on a house that hadn't sold in two years. And they're ministers, so they're not banking. They're not rolling in the dough. And they they said, if we had known two years ago that we would still be paying this mortgage on our house, we'd say, no way, no way. There's no way we can do that with what we have. And but the fact is they are doing it and God has provided for them and they don't know the future and we don't know the future, and it's probably better that way because we, we wouldn't probably be able to handle the future. So I remember then I w- was still in Austin, got a text around 4 a.m. that mom was in ICU, wasn't doing well, and that we all needed to come home. Do you do you remember this part of anything for you? Yeah. I, uh, so I was in Israel in March on a mission trip and I'd called mom just to check in on her. And she, I I found out later, she would always muster up all of her strength when you talk to her on the phone to make it sound like everything's going fine. And, and, and she sounded fine and she sounded good and healthy and happy. And she just said, you know, I just, when you, whenever you get home, I want to bring you home to Fort Worth because I have some stuff I want to share with you. Because at the time you were living in Nashville. So she wanted you to fly to Fort Worth instead of Nashville, right? That's right. Yeah. So I was going to go back to Nashville. So so we got off the phone and I knew something wasn't right, even though she sounded good and everything. I just thought, why would my mom want to tell me what sounded like final words if uh, if everything really is fine? So 
I landed on a Sunday in Nashville and I planned to go on Wednesday and Sunday night I got a text at like three in the morning that said, come home, mom's not doing well. And I rolled out of bed. I had some athletic shorts on after a pair of pants and a, inside my backpack and a t-shirt inside my backpack and tennis shoes and socks. And that was it. And I jumped in the truck and flew up to the airport, booked a flight on the way. And it was really special. Actually, I, if I can share a yeah. couple stories on yeah. the way. I booked for the eight o'clock flight because I wasn't sure I was going to make it in time for the earlier one. And, and I got to the airport and I get my ticket and I run to the, the gate of the first flight and they still had room. And I asked if there's any way that I could get on that flight and they let me on without blinking an eye. And the whole flight, I was just kind of looking out the window, sobbing, you know, quietly with my hood, my sweater hood on. And when we land, the stewardess and a man who had sat like three or four rows in front of me, as soon as the seatbelt sign went off, flew down the aisle and came and put their hands on me and and just started praying. And uh, it was so beautiful. I didn't know that. And I got to the airport and got a taxi cab driver and he was from Ghana. And uh, he gets a phone call while we're driving and, and I can hear him speaking, you know, Ghanese or whatever <laughs> the language mm-hmm. is. But he's, it sounds like he's praying. And it, I don't know how to describe that other than if you've prayed and you've seen people pray in different countries, there's, there's like a, there's a sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he gets off and I said, were you, you know, I asked, were you just praying. And he said, yes, that was a pastor, a friend of mine in Ghana, who's got some churches. And I said, will you pray for my mom? I'm going to see her and she's sick and not doing well. And that man began to pray in English and other languages, you know, Ghanese and whatever, and said, I'll call my pastor friend and have him get his house churches praying for your mom. It was just so beautiful the whole way to the hospital, I was covered in prayer, and I got there, and mom was still conscious, and we were able to talk for a little bit. She was in a lot of pain. I think she'd had a skin infection. Yeah, cellulitis. And yeah, uh, yeah so uh, she was in a lot of pain, but but we got to talk, and and that was that was special. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember the way she handled her sickness, and uh, it was an extremely painful sickness, especially towards the end. She just handled it with such grace and selflessness um, and perspective, and she just seemed to continue to become a more and more wonderful woman, and she just seemed to glow white hot, her character, all the way towards the end. I remember when she was admitted the last time into the hospital a few days before she passed, she was stopping to talk to everybody else or to a couple other people, the two other people we saw in the emergency room, and uh, locked eyes with them and asked what she asked what their issue was and asked if she could pray for them and she said I'm gonna pray for you and she was just constantly selfless all the way till the end. By the time we got there, I also got to talk to her just one time. It was basically just I love you and she just said I love you, I love you, you know. Um, and then that was that was the last time that we talked. I remember each day going up there and dressing in like a dress and like fancy earrings because, you know, mom was always <laughs> she was always looking good. And so for her, I was like, OK, I'm going to dress. And I like just basically like begging her with every time I saw her is like, please open your eyes. I want you to see me. You know, it's like I just wanted her to mm-hmm. open her eyes and see me and um and be proud of my painted nails. <laughs> she always couldn't wish that I might have shaved my legs a little more and done my toenails. We all more. did. We all did. <laughs> Y'all told me I was never going to get married. That's rude. <laughs> they always told me how disgusting I was. <laughs> she was dirty. Dirty, dirty, dirty. Dirty, But I do remember um, that last week in the hospital that – 
when we all flew in, we were all there for about a week and, um, you know, all kinds of people were coming in and visiting and bringing us things. And, um, well, you want to tell about the night before? (laughs) I can try. Okay. Uh, so, um, I don't know. I honestly don't remember if we were told it was like so bad that we, I don't know that we knew that this was going to be the last, last night. I, um, but the brothers and I was dad there. I, I think it was just you brothers. I think dad and I went home and we stayed up, uh, and we'd been fasting and praying and we stayed up and listened to IHOP international house of prayer. Um, not the pancakes, <laughs> <laughs> but those Online. would have also those would have also been good. <laughs> those would have been heart, yeah. Those would have been food for the soul, <laughs> um, especially after four days of fasting. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were we were listening to International House of Prayer live prayer room and praying and believing. I mean, really believing. And at, at one point you could feel just a presence of the lord in the room it was really really thick and i honestly i i don't remember the song it may have been like you know the presence of god is in this place or something i i I really don't remember the lyrics i just remember the power and we all stood up and we're we could feel it and we were we prayers got louder and louder and more full of faith and and mom's face started kind of twitching and you could see her responding and, and, and we thought she was going to wake up at any point. And, uh, of course she never did. The morning came and we were, we were exhausted, but we had spent the evening getting to pray. And I, I will say that I believe that maybe we were, what we felt was maybe the, the spirit, of God coming into the room and, and beginning to welcome, excuse me, beginning to welcome his beautiful daughter who just longed to be in his presence. And I, I really think, I think that that's what we were feeling. I think that's what, that's what had happened. Yeah. So. I want to have our dad jump in here and tell about the next morning uh, where he was with his wife of, 37 years. And being a doctor himself, he gives us a little better picture of the medical situation as well. She was in a state of sepsis, which means the infection had spread um, to her bloodstream. But progressed to septic shock, had to have respiratory failure, blood pressure support, uh, multiple organ failure, even uh, was started on uh, dialysis for failing kidneys. And they had seen some lesions in the brainstem. And um, if you have lesions there, it can cause a, a stroke uh, where you can barely move, talk, function at all. It can be completely paralyzed or even worse, just have function of eyes or blinking and that kind of thing. We uh, kind of waited just hoping for some word of hope. But I do remember thinking, she's not here. Like, she's not here. <laughs> And I knew, mm-hmm. and it was like, I knew in my heart of hearts that she was already with Jesus. And I, and there were people, um, that were still wanting to pray and still wanting. And I remember thinking, no, like I'm not, I do. And I was also in a different place because I had just spent that last four months with her watching her day in and day out. And I was like, I don't want you to come back here. You are where I want to be. <laughs> like yeah. you are, you've. Made it, and I. So that um, day, uh, in driving to the hospital, had been praying and just crying and pleading that uh, she would be well and be improved, and if not, that it would be clear, you know, what to do. And we had family that wanted to pray hard, and others kind of advising to uh, begin to withdraw support. It was a, it was a very tough decision. But uh, as we drove along, I prayed that God's will would be done, that if, uh, if she were to be badly impaired, I told the Lord that I would be reconciled to 
you know, quitting work uh, if I needed to, to be able to take care of her, that we would just do what, whatever. Shortly after praying that prayer, as I began to turn towards the hospital, we passed a big grassy area, and there were just beautiful blue bonnets. And I uh, just you couldn't help but think of the song, Consider the Lilies of the Field, How They Grow, and that God takes care of them. And so I, I felt an assurance that God was going to take care of Sarah and of all of us. I do remember there was a sweet moment getting to, uh, I had picked a song for my parents to walk down at my wedding to. Um, and... We were singing uh, that day in her room with some of our closest friends and family. And um, I remember crawling up into her bed and singing that song and the words of it. And it's like, this is so the Lord's provision and sweetness, the words of it. The first words are, oh, gently lay your head. And this is talking about the Lord. Oh, gently lay your head upon my chest and I will comfort you like a mother while you rest. O weary, tired, and worn, let out your sigh, and I will show you love that is deep and high and wide, because I am constant, I am near, I am peace that shatters all your secret fears. I am holy, I am wise, I'm the only one who knows your heart's desires. And so I remember singing that song and just feeling like, man, the same thing you were saying is like, we are singing with heaven right now. Like we are, we sang other songs too. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And prayers were awfully, awfully fervent. But at one point, as we kind of paused, I just offered it for consideration that uh, we were praying often as though we expected God to heal her, as though that was his plan A. And I just offered that maybe healing wasn't his plan A at this time, that what we thought was plan B might be really the the plan A, that it was time for uh, Sarah to be, as Isaiah 57.1 says in some translations, to be uh, spared from evil times and to be at peace uh, and to be at rest. We often pray from a earthly perspective, the things that we think will bring, of course, God glory and honor, but also that vindicate him as defending the righteous and healing the righteous and, you know, protecting us. But some of those prayers almost implicitly assume that this earth is the is the goal, when in fact it's so plain that heaven is the goal, and that's so hard for us to really get centered in our in our minds. I have a clip I want to play for you. Um, That time when I called my brother to come home, he and mom were talking and she started to share some things with him of like, you know, I don't think that I'm going to go anytime soon, but I, there are some things that I want to want to tell you guys, you know, for if I do go and Cliff, thank the Lord, pulled out his phone and started recording. And he was like, like, what? You know, what do you want to tell us? And she's like, oh, well, things about my funeral and like songs that I would like. And he's like, what? You know, like what? And so he actually got to record some of her requests on there. And um, this clip I'm about to play was a week before she died. And it's a little hard to understand. She was pretty weak. Uh, So I'm going to tell you what she said first, and then I'll play the clip. So she's talking in the clip about dying, and she says that she wants us to know if something did happen, which I'm not expecting, that I'm so excited and I'm not scared at all. I just can't wait to sit by Jesus and God and bow my head with the elders. It just sounds like the most fun thing in the world. So I want you to know that if I got to go, that I beat everybody else to where I was made to go, and I'm not scared. Uh, If something did happen, which I'm not expecting, that I'm so excited. And I'm not scared at all. I can't wait to find Jesus and God and bow my head around. It's such the most something in the world. I want you to know that if I got to go, then I'd beat everybody else. 
to where I was made to go, and I'm not scared. All the children talked to her kind of one last time, and I did too, and we just got a little bit quiet. And in very short order, her heart rate slowed and, and, and then stopped, and so she, she left us and went on. We are sure, we are certain sure, went on to be with the Lord. Um, one thing that, without a doubt, that she would want anybody who's listening or anybody that we encounter to, to know is that she didn't consider herself awesome. She considers the Lord awesome. Yeah. And, and she wouldn't want anybody to think that she's made a sacrifice or sacrifices for him. She would want people to know that he's just that awesome. Yeah, he made, he made that ultimate sacrifice right. And yeah, is all she could do was give back for how he'd given Jesus. <laughs> That's right. So she wrote, she did that so well. She wrote letters to us and she wrote prayers down for us. And that's awesome to have now yeah. <laughs> that she's gone. Um, a letter she wrote me the summer before, a year before I got married, was the same thing, just telling me how proud she was of me. And um, at the end of it, she said, I've prayed over every aspect of your life. And she underlined <sighs> every aspect. I've prayed over every aspect of your life and will continue to do so. And then she left it with the scripture from Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is on you. And she said, Kara, the Spirit of God is in you and on you and can never be put out. And um, so to me, it's like her, her, her last words for me, and it's really sweet, on my wedding day. So she died on March 31st, 2012, and my wedding um, was two weeks later. And after I got dressed in my wedding dress that day, which another cool thing was that I wore my mom's dress and just cut off the big poopy sleeves. But this just another sweet way that God provided for me because when I chose to wear that dress several months before, I had no idea that it would mean so much to me because she wouldn't be there. But um, anyway, my mom's, one of her really good friends gave me a necklace with a pearl and a piece of metal that said four words from that verse in Isaiah, arise, shine, light, glory from arise and shine your light has come the glory of the lord is on you and that was just a little felt like a little commission from my mom to me on my wedding day and god really i mean it sounds so you know spiritual or whatever to say god had just an incredible covering over me but he did he had it was just i feel like he had this covering of grace over me so that i could fully enjoy that time and know that she wasn't going to have to be sitting there in a wheelchair with a mask on, worried that she wasn't doing all that she wanted to do for her only daughter on her wedding day. And she wasn't mm -hmm. worried about having to be sick. And, um, man, it was like, to this day, it was a magical day. <laughs> it was it was celebration and dancing and feasting and um, sweet and something that I look back and I've looked back at times and see things that I wrote my bridesmaids during the time where she was sick and during the time when she had just died and I think wow that is not human like that was the spirit <laughs> of the Lord because I do not feel that anymore <laughs> but I was like you know what she um she and I do feel this she was more a part of my marriage my wedding but more importantly my marriage than anyone on the face of the planet she had been praying for me and my marriage and my motherhood from the time i was a baby like uh -huh. she poured into it so i didn't feel at all like she wasn't a part of that day and and definitely there have been times where all of us have been felt all the emotions and gone through depression and still feel um frustration mm -hmm. and anger and don't understand and and there are hard times but i mean every major life change so every move every pregnancy every job is is usually those times are harder for me knowing that she's not here and I remember being mm -hmm. pregnant and driving home from work I was pregnant with my first child and I was so scared <laughs> and I didn't I was like I don't know what to do my mom's not here to help me how am I going to do this without my mom I can't do it without my mom she like mm -hmm. there's so many questions if I would have known that she wasn't going to be here I would have asked her and I didn't know to ask her then because I wasn't even thinking about being a mom you know all these things and just 
being so scared, like one of the things that I've dealt with the most since her dying is fear. And that's something that I just have to constantly kind of work through. But I remember feeling so scared in my car and so like mad and sad and all those things. And I felt just like the tender voice of the Lord and not, I remember feeling like he was saying, do you not think that I'm better? Like I'm a better teacher. I'm a better. I showed her how to be a mom, you know, like. And it was this gentle, not maybe rebuke, I don't know, this gentle kind of word that was like, oh, I should believe that you're better than my mom. And a lot of times I do, I do, you know, I've gone back and forth of like, oh man, I don't, I don't believe that I'd be better if she was here because she could tell me what to do. Um, But it's this sweet thing of, oh, you were the source of where all this came from. Her creativity, Mm -hmm. the fun stuff she did. The, everything that she did, he was the source of it. And she it's because she spent her days on her knees in his presence, hurting and rejoicing, mourning and celebrating. And anyway, it is it has been it's been hard, but it's sweet to see the times where the Lord is like, hey, <laughs> I promise yeah. you, you have what you need in me. And even times when I fear now for like something that I struggle with a lot is this is too good to be true. When's it going to turn bad? Like with my family, we Mm -hmm. just went on vacation and I'll be sitting there looking at everybody thinking, this is so sweet. This is so good. When's it going to, who's going to (laughs) die next? It's crazy, but that is what, but it's crazy, but it is, um, God does remind me that he, he is enough and he is better than all these things. Yeah. And there's, there, I mean, they're traumatic events and, and I think we celebrate, Sarah DeBose, we we celebrate her, and there's not she wasn't perfect, and her story didn't end up perfectly. Her story didn't end up perfectly. Mm -hmm. Even this kind of trauma that we, anyone who's experienced loss, knows of the the fear that comes with it, the insecurity that comes with with it, and the questions that come with an anger and emotion that comes with it. It's you know there's a tough things, but the unfolding of those of walking those things out and how we do it and that's what i think even with mom with her her prayer and that when i talked about that quiet time chair sitting in the quiet time chair and having that conversation with her she said she her specific words were he could snap his fingers and i'd be healed tomorrow Mm -hmm. or it might be a long and painful and drawn out process that ends in me going yeah and my prayer is that I'll walk that out so beautifully. <laughs> and <laughs> she did. It's like she did. And so maybe we can honor those that have gone before us by w- walking out our mm. our lives beautifully and the fear that comes with it. Yeah, that's so uh, good. You know, going along with what you're saying about her writing great notes, she has written, she started journals. I mean, they're not completely full, but she started journals for every single one of us kids that she wrote and pray things that she wrote and prayed and for our spouses that she would pray. Mm-hmm. And we all had one that it would be like Ben, Ben's wife. Yeah. Kara, Kara's husband before you knew it. And it's so fun to see and read those things. I think there's only like 14 pages in Emily's and Emily will read them. My wife will read them and just be so blown away with how it seemed like mom knew who she was, even though she she wasn't even in the picture yeah. at the time. And it's so cool. You know, she prayed so fervently for every area of our lives. And one of the prayers that she always had for me, I was the guy, I was like a hopeless romantic and was always <laughs> falling hard. And, and, uh, and I was falling hard for people that uh, oftentimes, not every time, but didn't fall as hard for me. And mom would she just prayed. She would tell me over and over and over, and even during Emily's and my dating relationship, which wasn't as smooth as ice, but but she would say, I just want you to be with someone. And if it's Emily, I want to be absolutely in love with who you are and love everything about you. I never told Emily that. What was so cool is um, Emily flew down when that last week that mom was sick and, and we walked into mom's room and they, it was, uh, before they had intubated her, but she wasn't able to speak anymore. And 
she rolled her head over and looked at us with her big, beautiful fake eyelashes <laughs> and uh, and big, beautiful uh, eyes. She did have beautiful, real blue eyes, but she did she had love beautiful, those real fake blue lashes. <laughs> and Emily was about to go fly back to Nashville, and we told mom that we were planning to, I was planning to propose that summer and that we were going to come back on the weekend of Kara's wedding and look at rings and things like that. And Emily got to share without knowing any of mom's prayer. I mean, it was almost word for word. She said, Sarah, I'm so thankful to you for your son. And I just want you to know he's lo- he loves me so well. He loves me better than I could ever have asked or imagined. And I love him. I adore him. I adore everything about him just as he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was just this moment of her crying and tears coming down mom's face mm-hmm. and she could barely say anything, but you could hear the whisper and she moved her mouth, her lips saying, I love you. I love you. I love mm-hmm. you. Like as much as she kept trying to say it where we could hear it <laughs> and we could see it anyway. It was so beautiful um, that she got to see all those things. Yeah. Hear what past, she had prayed all for. Of right. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the end, one of the coolest parts of this show to wrap up, I just want to say thank you for listening. This show has been so good for me to record and to listen to as I've been editing, and I did have to leave a lot out of it. Thank you to everybody who sent me stories about my mom. They were so fun to read, and uh, it was pretty cool to see that she actually wrote a lot of you letters, which is awesome. I want to remind you all to, if you're feeling encouraged and less alone as you listen to this Headed Someplace podcast, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It really just helps other people to find the show and be encouraged as well. And then also, I always love hearing from you that you're listening and even recommendations for other guests you'd like to hear from on the show. So find me on Instagram at Kara Dawn Z, K-A-R-A-D-A-W-N-Z, at Kara Dawn Z. And usually I come back on at the end of the show, but this week I'm going to end things a little bit differently. So I just want to remind everybody that you can find notes from today's show and photos of my mom and me in her wedding dress and all that good stuff up at headedsomeplace.com. Okay, like I said, I told the social media world that I was going to record this show, and so we have a few extra special guests here on the show. And the cool thing to note is not all of these people were day in and day out for for life friends of my mom's. These are people that some had one encounter with her, some had two, some had a lot more, but it's really neat to see the consistency of what these people learn from my mom. So I want to share these guests with you. The first one is Guilherme in Portuguese, but we call him William. I was coming from Brazil to be an exchange student and living with the Dubose family. Sarah Dubose, she was a mother for me. She was always helped me, you know, making my lunch and take me to the football team practice, soccer practice everything i had very difficult to make the tests for history classes and i remember she going she going to the school and doing the test with me trying to explain to me and write that for me because in the beginning i was not good in english other thing that i remember for her was when i made my 16th birthday she got the white truck SUV, whatever, the old one, and she drove to the school with everything wrote in the windows, happy birthday, William, number 32, happy birthday on that, and it's not normal to do that in Brazil, so I was kind of embarrassed, but I was so, so happy because she really loved me as a son, as I loved her as a mother. I really felt at home because everything she did for me. When I first met Sarah when I was a college student, Ben invited me to spend Christmas with the family because I didn't get to go home that year. Josh is from Malaysia, and after my mom got sick, he dropped by to see her. We chatted for a little bit, then she pulled out what I believed was a prayer journal, pointed at my name along with my prayer requests and a date, and said she's still praying for me every day. Here she was, fighting for her life every day. And all she could think about was praying for and encouraging her family and friends. I am married to Sarah's nephew, Monty. And she taught me so much about 
what it means to truly give your children to God and how to love them and release them to his care and to his best and to his story. And just hearing her as she struggled with doing that herself and wanting the best for her children and and wanting God to um, reign in their lives, she really taught me a lot about the power of not controlling your children's lives, but just being faithful to pray for them. She was such a wonderful hostess. Sarah um, had a way of making every single person feel welcome in her home. We all knew that we could bring in the randomest stranger and um, that person would be welcome and feel so loved um, at any event, even if it was like some special family event. didn't matter. I think Aunt Sarah was probably the best example of what it really means to love other people like Jesus. I remember a time when I was in college passing through Fort Worth and stopped at the DeBosa's house to spend the night and it turned out to just be the two of us and she said let me take you out to dinner. So we went to Primo Pasta and sat there and she just listened. You know in college when you're trying to figure everything out. You got girls on your mind and studies and you're trying to figure out what your major is and your whole life is uncertain. Uh, But she listened and she gave really wise advice uh, and she just loved me. I, I went away feeling very loved and I think that's exactly what Jesus did. I think he spent time with people listening, uh, gave wise advice uh, and that they went away feeling really loved. When I would wake up in the morning at their home, Aunt Sarah was sitting on her chair with her Bible and her coffee, and um, she had tons of people's names that she would pray over. And it's probably one of your names that she prayed over. And um, when the kids would lose something, um, like a football or a shoe or a jersey or whatever it may be, because they were going to the next sporting event, she would call his name out and she would say, you are my Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. You're my Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. And she would walk around the house until God showed her where the, that thing was that they lost. It was so neat because I learned that not only do you call out to God in the small things um, that we think are small in life, but you call out his name in the big things. I remember praying about where to find keys, where to find prom dresses, dates to prom for our kids, anything that was a concern to us or concern to her, you could pray about it. And this is that friend of my mom's who gave me that necklace on my wedding day. Even in the little things that seem really trivial, Sarah was not afraid to to pray for anything. We had a conversation one time about how it was frustrating when we had a crisis or something had happened and we tried to get hold of each other and couldn't. And she said, you know, I've decided that if I call you and you don't answer, then that is just God reminding me, you know what, you, you talked to me about it first. And um, when people would ask you, you know, just please pray for me about this, or my mom's sick, you know, would you pray for her? Sarah uh, would say, you know what, let's just pray right now, because it's really easy to say, yes, I'll pray for you, or I'll remember that. And then we don't. And maybe a week later, we think, oh, wow, I meant to be, you know, so faithful to pray for that. And it just slipped out of my mind. But if you stop right then, and just pray with them, then you've honored that. She just had a real knack for reading how other people felt. This is our middle brother, Dan. And knowing what made them happy and what what made them feel valued and appreciated. And she would make sure that everybody she was with felt like just loved and important and cherished and taken care of. And ultimately, that's just a reflection of Jesus and the way that he loves each one of us and knows our needs and knows our desires. After Sarah got sick, she asked me to record for her scriptures um, and put them in a big notebook that she could have with her wherever she went, to the doctor or hospital or whatever. And they were just all God's promises. They were everything that Sarah held on to about how she could trust God, what she should do when she was afraid or couldn't sleep or um, how to keep her joy, all these things. She had them right in front of her all the time because she sought God um, all through that time, that really hard time. And I know it was also a testimony to people who saw it because they knew 
that that's where she went um, for her strength. And so, so many people said things about Sarah, you know, oh, she's so strong and she's such a strong person. And, and she was, but what I know Sarah would tell you is that she had a strong God and because she knew him and because she always turned to his words and his promises and his leaned on him, she leaned on him and that's what made her strong. She just, she had a strong God. She's probably my favorite apologetic for a faith in a good and loving God. She was full of energy and was a lot of fun. She made it feel like Santa was real for sure. She was, you know, generous all the time with everyone. She was humble. She was the most beautiful woman, both inside and out. One of my favorite things about her were her hands. I thought she had the most beautiful hands. And of course, they were always perfectly manicured and um, the perfect color. OPI Cajun shrimp. That was her color. Precious. That was her word. Oh, that is so precious. I love that. That's precious. I think about the legacy of Sarah DeVos, you know, it's summarized with one word, patience. As a father of almost four children, it makes me laugh to think about the patience that Sarah DeVos had with her four kids and all of us their friends, you know, the, the big white suburban, I can't tell you how many times I probably spilled something in there. Shoot, probably even wet the bed <laughs> at their house. But man, Sarah was the same every day, always, rain or shine, happy or sad. I have never, ever in my 60 years now had a friend like Sarah. It seemed like she always found the good in everybody. She seemed to see everybody as if they were a child of God, see them the way God sees them. I cannot wait for that glorious day when I get to see her again. Her life was just amazing, and I consider her one of God's many masterpieces. Heaven is an unbelievably uh, awesome and glorious place and beautiful place. It's a holiness that we cannot comprehend. Even though we can't quite taste it and touch it in our earthly skin, with our eyes of faith, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And true faith believes in that as much as his ability to heal or prosper or raise from the dead even. I think that we should always remember that God is good.